Blomcast. Turning Points in History. Wendepunkte in der Geschichte. Hello and welcome to the Blomcast, a podcast in which I, Philip Blom, will be looking at historical tipping points, always with the question, what if anything they might be able to tell us about ourselves and our own historical tipping points at which we are living at the very moment. And to begin this series of investigation, in particular historical points, um, points that affect whole societies, but perhaps also just individuals, I would like to speak about the Little Ice Age, a period in which it became much colder in the world for a while, for several centuries, a period that is very well researched and which tells us quite a lot about how human societies and their natural environment interact. Because for a long time, for centuries, the history that we've been telling ourselves, the history that has been written, was the history of people. First of all, the history of kings and generals, then a little more widely um, different kinds of history, especially in the early 20th century. But... It has only been in the last few decades, really, that history has been coupled with the natural environment that people live in. Like every other species of animal, if the natural environment changes, Homo sapiens will have to adapt. Human societies will have to change. And it is fascinating to see how this change worked and functioned. So, what is the Little Ice Age? The Little Ice Age is a period between the late Middle Ages, something like the 1400s, to perhaps as late as the 1900s. And if you hear me being so vague, you see there is a big debate going on about how exactly to date it. But in the work that I've done myself, I've concentrated on the most severe period, which was roughly between 1570 and 1680 or so. And I've looked at how the change in nature that happened affected also human societies. And the effect, I can tell you, was enormous. The effect was to create the world in which we are living today. Now, first of all, a little rider here. I will be talking mainly about Europe and European societies. That's not because I don't think other societies are worthy of study. And indeed, this was a global phenomenon, this little ice age. But it so happens that, first of all, I'm best at European languages. And secondly, the sequence of events and the reactions to these events are really best documented in Europe, most in the most fine grain, because there are so many written documents and there's been so much scientific work done that you can really speak in great detail about what happened in that time. Now, what did happen? First of all, the weather cooled. We know very well what happened, but we're not quite sure why. There's still a debate about that too. It appears to be that it was a wobble in the function of the sun, in the um, functioning of the sun. 
but um, that is still not quite sure. What we can exclude that is that it was human activity in the Little Ice Age, the only human activity that would be, as it were, a likely suspect to have caused a change in the climate would be the collapse of uh, Southern American and Mesoamerican societies after the advent of European viruses, after which um, the forest reclaimed a lot of agricultural land. But that change is not significant enough to explain this enormous climate change that we can observe in, uh, observe in this time. What happened is that it became about two degrees colder. Now, two degrees sounds a familiar kind of um, magnitude. We're often talking about two degrees. Now it's two degrees hotter. But um, first of all, two degrees colder on average doesn't mean that the temperature dropped by two degrees. Just as today, if the temperature would be two degrees hotter, our cities would be eight degrees hotter in summer, then the difference, the extremes were much bigger and much more devastating. So you had long, harsh winters all the way from the 1500s to through to the 1700s, really. And these winters were so long and so harsh that, for instance, in the First World War, during the, I'm sorry, that, for instance, during the Thirty Years' War, so 1618 to 1648, um, entire armies rode across the Danube and the Rhine because they were frozen so solid that nothing would break. So you could move across with wagons, with cannon, with thousands of soldiers, and the ice would hold. Um, London had ice fairs and effectively a new part of the city would be built on the frozen Thames in winter. And there were uh, public houses, there were brothels, there were games being played, but there were also crafts being plied. So it was really a part of the city. These were times in which rivers froze really solidly. Um, soldiers would be given their rations of wine because soldiers always got a ration of wine. They would have it sawn off from big blocks of wine ice because it was so cold in their quarters. And now, what does this cold mean? First of all, long and cold winters and short and rainy summers, they cause huge problems for agriculture. The vegetation period was roughly three weeks shorter during this time. Now, the vegetation period is the period that a plant needs to get ripe. And you have to understand what that means because that is not only the food stuff that people depend on, but this is also the key to the social order of a late medieval society. All social rank or wealth ultimately dependent on land wealth and on productive agriculture. And these societies were still fundamentally agricultural. Most people lived in the countryside and ate what was produced locally. And during the Middle Ages, I suppose one can say that there was a feeling that there was a kind of contract between God and his people. So people prayed and observed God's commandments, and in return, God gave them to eat. God gave them his plenty. 
Now, suddenly this contract was disturbed and more and more often it seemed to be broken because suddenly the fields would no longer yield harvests or indeed they would yield a harvest but the summer would be so rainy that the grain would rot in the field and the desperate farmers would see their livelihood vanish. Now, this led to hunger quite frequent local hunger, but this also led to social unrest. And you can imagine that this hit society really at every level, at every rank, because in the countryside you had hunger and you had unrest because of that. But in the cities where the grain price was what the gold standard would be in the 19th century, in the cities you had brutal inflation of sometimes a hundred percent per year um, mainly in grain and bread and flour prices but then depending on that also in all other prices and the aristocracy which lived off its tax takings mainly from agriculture also had much less tax in a time when wars if anything intensified and all great aristocratic families were most of the time involved in some kind of war somewhere, which was extremely expensive. So you see that this climate change really began to shake the foundations of a society, of a late medieval society. And there was obviously trouble afoot. Now the question is, what do you do? What are the sensible reactions to this kind of trouble? Um, how does a society react to the idea, to the fact that all of a sudden the order, the divine order, appears to be disturbed? Well, unsurprisingly, these societies, I mean now mainly European societies, reacted to this disturbance exactly like mid late medieval societies would react. So. There were processions um, in which people flagellated themselves. There were special services being held. There were fire and brimstone sermons in which people were admonished for their sin, which meant that God would not send them a spring and would not send them a good harvest. Holy relics were carried up to glaciers which were expanding down into the valleys with the, with the cold. And the priests commanded them in God's name or in the name of a saint to stand still. And after every bad harvest, especially in Central Europe, you had a wave of witch trials in which the so-called witches, mainly women, about 80%, some men as well, were accused of having spoiled the harvest, of having made the, the cattle sick, and of having slept with the devil. The latter was just for a bit of titillation, one supposes, but the other two were clearly connected with the climate at the time because also the cattle got sick because it had to eat less than ripe feed um, or even feed that was affected by ergot which was a fungus that could produce um, even in people hallucinogenic states so the witch trials were really a symptom 
of this time, a symptom of this crisis. And tens of thousands of people found their deaths in these terrible trials. But we don't just have the witch trials to go on. There is a multiplicity of sources reaching from diaries and captains' logbooks to, for instance, packing lists of ships or also harvest dates. And there especially wine is interesting because wine was always precious. And also wine was a sort of staple food for people at the time. We forget that, um, well, most of our ancestors, ancestors would have been pretty drunk most of the time. In Vienna, where I live, um, the ration of wine we know in the 15th and 16th century was roughly a bottle a day for every man, woman and child. The water, of course, couldn't be drunk without um, a little bit of wine in it because it was not hygienic, it was quite dangerous. So wine was really quite important. And we see not only the wine harvest dates getting later and later in this time, indicating that people were desperately leaving the grapes on the vines for longer to try to make them ripe. But we also see that, for instance, in the little Austrian town of Krems, which is today still a center of winemaking, um, the amount of cellars under the city doubled, um, which is curious in a time of in bad times for wine. Why would you need so much more storage space? Well, it's quite simple. At the time still, the only way of making very sour wine drinkable would be to let it age and mature for many years so you needed much more space but also they started making a lot of mustard for which you also need a vinegar so you can see how also industries changed but also you can see this change in the arts you can see it for instance in the famous Flemish winter landscape which became its own artistic genre at the time with whole societies seemingly sharing the same ice and very poetic, beautiful views of large frozen landscapes with tiny people as if they were just becoming aware how much they are at nature's mercy. Or you can also think of Shakespeare's winter of discontent, his winter's tale. Or indeed, you can go to Miguel de Cervantes, the great Spanish novelist, and look at his Don Quixote. And Don Quixote, a modern man who dreams himself back into the Middle Ages and tries to um, yeah, achieve great fame by um, rescuing damsels in distress. Well, one of those damsels in distress that he tries to rescue because he's convinced she's being abducted by a horde of robbers is actually a statue of the Virgin Mary that is being carried around by peasants desperately praying for rain. And here you have another... Um, example of climate uh, change and the effect on people because the aridity of the Spanish plains became particularly bad as a result of the Little Ice Age. Now, in spite of having inspired so much beautiful art, you can imagine that the 
cultural reactions to the freezing climate, to the change of nature, did not do much to change the nature back or indeed to help people to successfully adapt after every bad harvest witches would be burnt and sermons would be held and the weather appeared to be unimpressed a culture was fighting from within its old paradigm within its old way of understanding the world and that way no, no longer led to meaningful action to meaningful change because that way was no longer helpful for understanding the world so here we have the world in this case europe at a terrible impasse Nature has changed. A model that has carried for many centuries has all of a sudden become fragile and a whole social order seems to be under threat. This is the situation of the beginning of the Little Ice Age. In the next episode, we will look at what this society has found to make them react to this change in a meaningful way which changes worked and how this reaction in turn changed the societies and made them much more like the societies we're living in today. If you have other questions or indeed comments, leave them in the comments for me or write to me. I will answer you and I will certainly also take your suggestions for other episodes, other topics. I'll be very interested what you have to say. You can also like me or subscribe. I'll be glad to talk to you again for this time. Bye bye.